0: Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, all right, it's okay to interact. It's all right to to respond, it won't hurt you. Okay, my name is Chris, I'm one of the pastors, it's been said. Uh, glad to be with you this morning, I'm excited to be here, I hope that you are as well. And we've got a lot to get to this morning, so we're just going to jump right in. Uh, because we've been going through this series on the book of Acts, we've been talking about the early church and, and what that church looked like as it got started, and, and that movement, and there's a lot of things that we can look back on and, and learn from and grow in, and this morning is one of those things. And so this morning we're going to be talking about conflict. And all the audience went, yay, conflict, right? You guys are excited to talk about conflict? The reality is, though, nobody really wants to talk about conflict. We don't like it. We don't like, I don't, I haven't really met the person that like really likes conflict, really likes to get into a good argument and that kind of thing. There's probably people out there like that. Maybe you're thinking I'm married to one that likes to get (laughs) into an argument. But the reality is that we're not going to talk just about the church this morning. While it is true, the context that I will be giving you and all of that kind of thing is about the church, not the church, the building, but the church, the people, those that are following Jesus. So if you're in the room this morning, you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, you're part of that thing called the church, uh, the body of Christ. But what I want to do for you is give you this context because conflict happens in almost every area of life, if we're honest. So if you're eight... Or 88, you can relate to this. You, can, you have some context to say, I've been in some kind of conflict, whether it's with your siblings, whether it's with your parents, whether it's with your spouse, whether it's uh, in school with uh, friends or the people that you go to school with. Maybe it's a teacher. Uh, it could be in a business environment. You could be at work, and you could have conflict with your boss, or maybe you have conflict with your employees, or maybe it's other employees employees that you have conflict with. could be any number of things, but the reality is that conflict exists, and I believe that God wants us not only to embrace conflict, meaning that it's going to happen, we have to realize that, but now work through it. How do we work through it? I don't believe God just left us without any tools to work through it, and the early church gives us a great example. So here's the first point. If you're a note taker, uh, this is for you. You might want to write this down. We'll never change the world out there, If we can't solve the conflicts in here. And as I said, this is true for the church. And I don't just mean this building, while it is true that just Bethany Grace Fellowship, but the church as a whole. We were given this mission by God to say, go and shine the light, be a city on a hill, shine that light out into a dark world. That is the mission. Share the gospel, spread the good news about Jesus that sinners can be saved, that there is salvation. That's the mission. And the reality is that we will never get that message out to the world if we're too busy fighting in here. Amen? We agree? It's true. I mean, think about this even in your own family. In your own family, mom and dad, maybe you grew up in this home. Maybe this is you. Maybe this is you right now. Or maybe you are mom and dad and this conflict is happening and you're continually fighting with one another. And there's tension and it's not getting resolved. The reality is, you're not going to make a big impact in your community as a couple, which I believe God has brought husband and wife together to not only raise children, to, but to make an impact in the community within which God places them. But you will not make an impact in that community if conflict is not resolved, if you don't work on it. You will not make an impact in the world as a company, as a business. If conflict isn't worked on and resolved, you will not make an impact as, think of sports teams. Last night, Adam comes on stage. He talks about Penn State and what a game that was. I was going to, I'll be honest, I was going to go to bed. It was 28 to 7. I thought, man, this isn't worth it. I got to get up here and preach tomorrow. I'm going to go to bed. And I hung in there for one more series. Penn State scores on that series. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll go through halftime. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad I stayed up. It was worth while watching. But as you watch that and what we're all drawn to, whether you're a Penn State fan or not, I guess if you're a Wisconsin fan, you're hurting this morning. And I feel for you because a lot of the teams I cheer for lose those big games. So I feel your pain. But here's the thing. What we saw last night was a team that was united around a mission. They had different roles. Everybody talks about the offense this morning and how great the quarterback was. That defense gave up three points in the second half. If that defense gives up more than three points, it's a different game in the second half. So they were united around a mission. And it was incredible to watch and we are drawn to it. So here's what I want to get at. That as we move forward, as we deal with conflict, we're going to move into some things that Jesus said about the church. And again, they can connect to the family or business. Put it in your environment. Put it in where you live and work And go about your day. But I want to give you a quote here. And this is a quote from a guy that I'm sure all of you are familiar with, Abraham Lincoln, one of the greatest presidents to ever hold that office. And he quotes Jesus. Jesus made a quote, and you can find this in your Bibles in Mark chapter 3 if you'd like. Mark chapter 3, Jesus says that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. A house, think about a house, a family divided against itself will not stand. And during his time, this was before he was president, Abraham Lincoln, uh, I believe, was elected in 1961, or eight, yeah, 1961. 1861, he makes this quote in 1858, right? And he sees, as a visionary, Abraham Lincoln sees what's going to happen, he sees what's on the horizon with slavery, he quotes Jesus, and it's always good when a president quotes Jesus, and he says, a house divided against itself cannot stand, and I believe this government cannot endure permanently, half slave and half free. He knows that this division will bring the United States to its knees and it will destroy that vision that the founders had. And he knows it. So he says, but I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. But I do expect it will cease to be divided. So what he's saying is we are going to be united around something. It will become all one thing or all the other. Either the opponents of slavery slavery will arrest the future spread of it, stop it, and place it where the public mind shall rest in the belief that it is in the course of ultimate extinction, or its advocates will push it forward, till it shall become lawful in all the states, old as well as new, north as well as south. Praise God that Abraham Lincoln was in the position he was in when he was in it, and he saw that... The people of the United States were endowed by their creator with unalienable rights, right? That God had given us rights and he saw that the abolition of slavery or the abolishment of slavery was to the benefit of the United States of America. And he pushed that way. But he knew that the union, the the United States would not stand divided. Jesus knew this as well. Jesus had this understanding that division cannot stay divided in a place or it will fall apart. In an organization, in a family, in a kingdom, division has no place because if there's division, you're not headed in the same direction. So unity is extremely important. So whether you're leading a country like Abraham Lincoln was or whether you're leading a household or a business or a school or a team or a church, unity is important. And Jesus felt it was so important that right before he left this earth, Right before he was about to go to the cross and die on that cross for the sins of mankind, he was in deep prayer with God the Father, and he was speaking to God the Father about this issue of unity. If you look this up in John chapter 17, I wish we had time to go through the whole passage. We do not this morning, but I want to point this passage out. Now, I brought it in here in a difficult place, so let me fill in some of these uh, pronouns for you. I, Jesus, in them, the believers... He's speaking about, he's praying about, God, I want to, I want your people, the, the people who will believe in the message of Jesus. He's actually play, praying for you and I here, those who will believe in the message later in time. So he's saying, Jesus, I in them and you in me. So God the Father is in Jesus so that they may be brought to complete unity. They may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me them, even as you have loved me. It's one of my favorite verses, that God the Father would love us as much as he loves Jesus, his own son, and that we would be united around the message, so much so that the world will know that you sent me. Just think about that. Think about what Jesus is saying there, that as the world comes around this message of Jesus Christ and people from all over the world whether you're from China or India or Russia or Canada or the United States South America doesn't matter where you're from and all the different races and ethnicities and genders and ages people coming around this message of Jesus Christ and the salvation that we can have in him alone and the world to look in and say how is that possible How is it possible that these people from all different places of of life and different places on earth and different ages and different genders can come together centered around this message of Jesus Christ? That the world may know that there is a God in heaven and he sent Jesus to die on on a cross for our sins. And this is Jesus' desire. It's that we would be united around this message. Now... Let's move forward in the story. So Jesus dies on that cross. He he ascends into heaven. He leaves this mission for his disciples, the apostles, and the early church. And he says, go spread the message in Jerusalem, Judea, and all the corners of the earth. Now, with all of the diversity that there is in different ages, as I said, and different genders and different places we're from, is it surprising at all to you That within a very short time in the book of Acts, in the early church's history, that we run into conflict. Doesn't surprise us, does it? I mean, it doesn't surprise us that Early on, there's this tension, and Adam talked about some of this tension in the early chapters of the book of Acts. So you have these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people who are coming to faith in God the Father and in Jesus Christ. They're coming to faith, and the Jewish believers say, well, that's great. You can come to God the Father. You can serve God, but if you're going to do that, you have to look exactly like me. You have to follow all the laws as I do. You have to be, if you're a guy, you have to be circumcised. So this argument starts to... to to come into play and Adam shared on this uh, just a couple weeks ago. And so they're arguing and there's dissension and even in Acts chapter 6 there's what looks like racism or uh, at least bigotry against the Gentile believers because they're saying hey you're not caring for our widows the same way you are caring for the Jewish ones. So it seems like there's some really big tension that needs to be taken care of, and Adam shared on that. Well, we come into some personal tension as we move further in the story, as we go just a little bit further in that early church. There's personal tension between two very, very important leaders in the church. And how this is resolved helps us, I believe, helps us work through our conflicts Personally. So, this is where we're going to pick up in the scripture in the book of Acts. So, Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 5. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up with me. Uh, the few Bibles there, it's page 917 if you want to follow along. And if you're new to the Bible and don't have one, please take that one uh, with you if you'd like it. Uh, that's our gift uh, from us to you. So, we're going to pick up here in Acts chapter 13. And we're going to just page through just a couple verses here, really, as we go through the book of Acts and work towards um, work towards this, this conflict that's happening. So we'll pick it up in verse 4. So Barnabas and Saul, whose name is later changed to Paul, that's important. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus, there in the town of Salmas, they, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. There's this little sentence that comes next. John Mark went with them as their, as their assistant. So we have Barnabas, we have Paul. His name's Saul here, it's changed to Paul, I don't want to confuse you. But Barnabas and Paul and John Mark, they're sent out on this missionary journey. Go to the ends of the earth and share the gospel, share the message of Jesus, let them know. So Paul gets this personal calling, hey, I need to be the one to take it to the ends of the earth. And he takes Barnabas and John Mark with him. Luke, the writer here, notes that because it's important. So come now with me, just a few verses over to verse 13. So Acts chapter 13, verse 13. Paul and his companions then left for Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the the, the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now Luke adds this little sentence. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now why is that important? If you are just reading through the book of Acts, just a casual reading, you're going to read right past that and think that that's not important at all because what does it matter that John Mark decided he wanted to go home to Jerusalem. Well, Luke put it there for a reason. If we go forward, we're going to find out what that reason was. Now, it's important here before we get into their argument because we're going to get into their argument or their disagreement here in Acts chapter 15. You got to know who these people are. If I'm reading this and you don't know who Mark is or who Paul is, it's really kind of vague and confusing. So, I'll give you just a little bit of background. John Mark is the author of the Gospel of Mark. You go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mark is this guy, John Mark. He is Jewish. His mother plays a key role in the early church. They used to meet in her home. Uh, She's a Jewish believer, which means Mark is a Jewish believer, which is important because it may play into some of the tension around Paul's vision and his mission. It is also important to know that he is a cousin to Barnabas. We find that out in the book of Colossians. That's important because these two are related John, Mark, and Barnabas are cousins. Blood runs pretty thick. So we're going to run into some tension with that. The next one I have for you is that he is a close friend with Peter. I always found it odd that Peter is talked about so much in the the Gospels, but he never wrote one of the Gospels. And I always found that kind of interesting. Why didn't Peter, Peter writes 1 Peter and 2 Peter, the two letters, but he doesn't write one of the Gospels? Well, as I was digging in deeper this week, I found out that John, Mark, and Peter were extremely close friends. And what is likely is that Mark was not one of Jesus' disciples. Sometimes we're confused by that, and we think, oh, well, at least I know four of the disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, that's not true, because Luke and Mark were not part of that group of twelve. But Mark was extremely close with Peter, and it's likely that what Mark was doing was as he was writing, he was writing for Peter. So when his experiences that he writes about, it's likely that he gets a lot of his information through Peter. So that gives you kind of the background on who John Mark is. Paul was one of the most powerful powerful uh, New Testament missionaries that we can even run into. He was a persecutor of the church, the early church. And he has this dramatic conversion in Acts chapter 9 where he sees the Lord, he's changed, and then he goes about doing the the missionary work. So let's get to this disagreement here in chapter 15. So you turn over to chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, we'll look at verse 36. That's where this tension or conflict is going to come about. So after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city. So they've returned. They've come back to Jerusalem. And he says, now let's go back and visit each city that we were there previously where we preached the word of the Lord. Let's see how the new believers are doing. Verse 37, Barnabas agreed, great idea, Paul, let's go, and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly. Don't, don't underestimate or don't Put too little emphasis on that word strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. So here we find what, that little phrase that, that Luke put in there back in Acts 13 about John Mark leaving. Well, Paul took that personally. Paul was not happy about that because he felt like they were deserted. Now, there's been a lot of people who've put a lot of thought into, well, why did John Mark leave? And we don't. The honest answer is we don't really know. We don't really know. Some have speculated that he was homesick. We don't know that. Did he get ill in some way? I kind of find it odd that Paul would say, hey, John Mark deserted us if he had diarrhea, right? I just kind of find that a little bit odd that if he was really sick that he would be like, yeah, that guy deserted us. I kind of think he'd be like, no, go home or he'd pray for him and he'd be healed, one or the other. Uh, there's, so, so there's different theories around what it is. Uh, One of the things I will suggest that I found very interesting was so that John Mark is Jewish. And Paul is taking this message to the Gentile believers and saying you don't have to be Jewish or look like a Jew to follow Jesus. John Mark runs back to Jerusalem when he abandons them. And shortly after that, we have the Jerusalem Council where there's this argument in the leadership of the church of whether or not you have to look like a Jew, smell like a Jew, and talk like a Jew to be a Christian. Kind of an odd conversation to have, but that's the argument. So they have this strong disagreement. So follow with me, verse 38. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated Barnabas took John Mark, his cousin, with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. So there was a sharp disagreement. Paul says, oh, no, 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 no. I know he's your cousin, but we're not taking that guy along again. It's not happening. So there's a difference of opinion. There's strong disagreement between these two strong leaders in the church. And I think there's some things that we can learn from them here that I want to point out to us the first thing that I, I notice is that God uses this disagreement to multiply his missionary team. Sometimes God uses, uh, uses things, you know, the, the passage that says that the Lord works in mysterious ways. Well, God just worked through this disagreement to multiply his missionary team from one to two. Because uh, Barnabas and John Mark, head, they head west to Cyprus. Paul and Silas head north up into Asia Minor. They go two different directions, but they're sharing the gospel. It's interesting that God uses this dissension or division to uh, bless or further his kingdom. Now, some of the other things I notice is that there is no, there's no sin involved here. There's no mention of sin. Luke doesn't mention that there's sin involved. Paul never mentions it in all of his writing that there was some kind of sin. The only word we have is that he deserted. He left them. But we don't know why. We don't know if it was an a, a argument about Method. We don't know if it was an argument about uh, personalities or what, what the argument was over. But oftentimes in our lives, bring this back to your own personal, personal life. Oftentimes when there is disunity or division, we try to make it a sin issue. We're right, they're wrong. They should see it our way. And oftentimes, I, I'm not so sure that disunity is always or often even a sin issue. Certainly, without a doubt, sin will cause division. Hear that clearly. Sin will cause division. It will separate. That's what it does. Between us and God and between us and others. Sin does separate. But here that's not the situation. So we have to ask the the question, what's happening here? Is it a division over gifts? This happens in the church all the time. A division over gifts. And what I mean by that is some of you are gifted in the areas of mercy, encouragement. You you love to serve others. You love to bless others. And I'm going to guess for you, if that's you, uh, it's kind of hard for you sometimes when you get around people that you feel maybe are a little bit too selfish. They think about themselves too much. They're not very giving. They don't give a lot. They don't give a lot of encouragement. And sometimes what we can do is in our mind, and it's hard for us to see this unless we have really caring people around us, but in our mind we can start to project the gift that God has given us. So if I'm an encourager, I start to project that on everybody else and say, you ought to be an encourager too. You ought to use that gift the same way I do. Well, God didn't give them that gift. Now, is it true that we should all encourage one another? Yeah, but there might not be this high emphasis. Another example I would give you is if you were to walk into a church that puts a high emphasis, really high emphasis on teaching and knowledge. Like I think of the Presbyterian church in this way. If you walk into that church and you're not gifted in the area of teaching, and expositing the, the scriptures and those kind of things, you don't like to read and go deep, it, it's going to be hard for you to feel really connected in that body because there's an emphasis put on those particular gifts. So I think sometimes we get into that, those issues. And the reality is, as we look through this, we're all wired differently. God has given us different gifts. And so naturally, we're going to use those gifts and those things and those experiences to view life from. And what I'm trying to get at here is I think rather than dividing over these differences, that we need to, to be united around them and embrace the differences that we have. Embrace the gifts that other people have. And that's what we're going to find with John Mark and with Paul eventually. But before we get there, let's work through some of this. So conflict isn't the problem. Contrary to popular thought, conflict is not the problem. And I I myself am a peacemaker through and through. I I don't like conflict. As I said in the beginning, I don't know too many people that do. So I try to avoid conflict. But sometimes avoiding conflict is the worst thing we can do because it only makes it worse. It's still there. We all know it's there. So conflict isn't the problem. Conflict is going to happen. As I said, people are going to have different opinions. There's different opinions about why things happen, how things happen, or the method to make something happen. But the problem is always how we handle it. The problem is not the conflict. It's how we handle ourselves in the conflict. The things we say, the things we do when we're in the midst of conflict that hurt the dig, then that's where we get into the sin issue. So conflict is not the problem. It's how we handle it. So put that in your own context. Put that in the context of your own personal journey. As you live life with your husband or your wife, as you work on a team, conflict starts to rise. How do you handle yourself? What are the things you say? What are the things you don't say? What are your actions like? These are things that we really need to weigh heavily and think about. So as we work through this in the church, as we work through conflict in the church, and I think I'll help you see this through personal lenses too, but there's three things that I think are kind of irreducible. And before we do that, uh, here's another one that you might want to, to write down in your notes, is that conflict handled properly is healthy. That's something we say on our elder board here once in a while. We remind each other that conflict handled properly is healthy. It's a healthy thing when you do it well. all right. But let me give you these three things. These three things that I think are kind of irreducible when it comes to conflict. Doctrinal unity. You might say, well, what is doctrinal unity? What does that look like? Well, doctrinal unity is simply this. When it comes to a church, you need to be united around the core of the message. What are you as a church? Who are you? What are you trying to accomplish? So we as a church are passionate about the gospel of Jesus. We're passionate about having other people come to know Jesus Christ We're passionate about seeing people set free from burdens and sins and addictions, as Pastor Adam was praying about. Those are the things. Unity around the good news about Jesus Christ. That's what we're passionate about. When it comes to your family, think about when I talk about doctrine of unity, you're like, well, what does that have to do with my family? Well, what are you, as the core of who you are as a family... What are you working towards? What are your goals? What do you want to accomplish? What do you want to see? A lot of us don't think this way because we're too stuck in the here and now. We're just trying to get through the day. Like, I'm just trying to get to bed tonight, Chris. I'm not trying to think about what we're going to do in 20 years or 30 years or what we're going to accomplish. But we should be thinking about those things because if we don't have a target, we don't come together and say, this is what we're about, it's really hard to get there. If you don't have a destination, it's hard to get there. So it's important. I think one of the things, as you look at John, Mark, and Paul, one of the things I would point out to you is that I think that they were definitely united doctrinally. There's no doubt in my mind. As I read Mark, I read the book of Mark, and I read Paul's letters, they were united. They were both pointing towards Jesus Christ. They were both saying that Jesus is the king of the world. He's the son of God. He died on the cross. We can have freedom in him. They agreed on those things. So it's clear to me that when they divided, it was not over that message. It was over something else. They were united around the core of who they were. So much so that a historical note here, they both died in Rome. They were both, uh, they were both martyred for their faith. So the core of their message was the same. The core of their message was the same. Now Paul even writes later, In 1 Corinthians, he says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. This is the Apostle Paul who had division with uh, John Mark. It's interesting. And Barnabas to throw him into the mix. But he says that there should be no divisions among you in the church because the message of the gospel is too important, The core of our message is too important. We don't want it to get watered down with all this conflict. We don't want it to get misunderstood because of all the conflict in the church. The message of the gospel is too important. So be unified. Let there be no divisions. And make sure you know what you're talking about. Make sure that that core message of Jesus is at the center. The next thing I would have for you is when it comes to this issue of conflict. And if you're going to resolve it well, I think that you have to have mutual respect for each other. You must have mutual respect. You must say, all right, this is another person who was created by God, loved by God, and given different gifts than I was. They have a different personality, different opinions, but I respect them in spite of that. I think this is so important. I think when we, when we understand each other, when we celebrate each other, when we celebrate those differences in the gifts, it helps us to work through this conflict. I'll give you a personal example here. One of the things, when I first met Adam... First time I sat down with him, he was interviewing here at the church. I sat down with him at a restaurant in Lidditz. And after I came away from that first meeting, I was thinking, wow, Adam and I are dramatically different people. He talks a language that I don't even fully understand what he's talking about. Not to say that he wasn't making sense, but he talked in leadership terms that I did not fully understand. What I came to realize as I journeyed with Adam is that Adam is gifted way different than I am, Adam is a visionary. That's his gifting. He sees things and he says, here's where we got to go. Here's where we need to be. That's not how God has gifted me. I'm much more in the moment, manage what the situation within which we're in. And so when we were talking, we were talking on two different levels and it's taken some time for us to work through that. And people look at us and say, well, how's your relationship? How can you be friends and work together and, and, and kind of pass back and forth? It's because we have this, mutual respect for each other. I know without a doubt that that Adam is passionate about Jesus Christ. I know that he loves the Lord. I know that he is working towards the good of this church. I know that. I, I don't have any doubt in my mind about that. And I, th- I believe he knows the same about me. And that's how we can work together because we have mutual respect, even though we see the world through different lenses at times. And one of the things I want to bring back into the story here is with, with Paul and John Mark. And I, I, I want to make sure that you understand this is that they resolve the conflict. We don't know how Paul and John Mark resolve the conflict. All the scriptures let us know is that they resolve it, that this thing gets worked out. Paul has this respect. In Second Timothy, he's writing this after this conflict, after they've been split apart. He writes this, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Now, why would Paul ask for Mark? The guy that he's like, no way, he's not coming with us. I don't want him to be with, with us. If you're sick or in prison, who do you want to visit you? Do you want the guy that you were like, I'm not going with him. I disagree with him 100%. We're, we're totally on different pages. They've worked it out. Only Luke is with me, but get Mark. Mark. Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Paul and John Mark have a mutual respect for each other, a mutual love for one another, and they work it out. We're not sure of the details, but they do. All right, next thing I have for you uh, in this conversation is philosophical unity. You're like, what in the world is philosophical unity? Well, how are we going to accomplish the mission? That's the question you have to ask. So as a family, you can say, hey, we are about, I'll, I'll give you an example, we're about adoption, we think that God has laid this on our heart. So you can, you can center your family around that mission. You can say, this is what we are as, a, as the core of our family. Now, there's different ways to go about that, though. You can be a family who says, we're going to adopt as many kids as we possibly can. You could be a family that says, we're going to give generously to every agency that works in that, that realm. We're going to give to people. We're going to help people. We're going to work in, uh, in an agency where that happens. Maybe it's like Kobe's or uh, Bethany Christian Services. You dev- devote your life to working towards that, and you're united around it. But see how there's different ways to be passionate about something? It's the same thing, but you're, there's different ways to be passionate about it. So I'll give you kind of a funny example, and I'm going uh, to pull back the curtain on something here. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the, elder, the, the church is led by a group of elders. It's five men and myself and Pastor Adam, five guys that are what would be called lay leaders. They, they volunteer all their time, they put a lot of time into the leadership. And what I'm going to do here now is I'm, I want to kind of peel back the curtain. I thought of the Wizard of Oz when I was thinking about this. You know that old statement in the Wizard of Oz? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Sometimes I feel like that as the elders, like we hide behind this curtain. Pay no attention to the elders behind the curtain and what they're doing. But what what we're going to do for you today is we're going to open that curtain up because we feel like this issue of conflict is too important to talk about. So we're, we're going to, I'm going to, in a minute, I'm going to invite Don and Adam to come up and speak to this. But we were given this assignment. We went away on an elder retreat and we promised you that we would talk about uh, that retreat. And so I want to honor that promise. And we were given an assignment when we were there. Uh, to work on this thing of of unity and work through some conflict issues. We were given this assignment that we were given a ream of paper. Now, a ream of paper is 500 sheets, in case you don't know. And we were asked, we were given three minutes as a team. We were given three minutes to decide how we are going to build the highest tower out of 500 pieces of paper. And then we had 10 minutes to do it. So all of us in the room, there's all leader types, you know. So we're all coming together and we're like, three minutes to figure out how we're going to build the highest tower? Like we've got to be united around this. So what we did was we stepped back and said, well, who are the builders? Well, Tom is, has used his hands and built all his life and Gerald Graham has done building all his life too. So we're like, you two guys, you know what you're doing. You guys tell us what to do. And so they came up with this idea of making these boxes. Now, I think the idea would have worked if the uh, constructors of the boxes were better, if we were more skilled craftsmen. Uh, but they didn't have the best craftsmen with them. Uh, so this, this idea failed. Uh, as you can see, it's pretty pathetic. I think that was at the end. And I think we got about two and a half feet. Uh, Adam shared with us the results of groups that have done embarrassingly better than we did. So... If you're depending on your elder team to build you uh, paper boxes, uh, you might want to find somebody else. But So anyway, I say that because the, the philosophical unity, we had a limited amount of time and we had to be surrounded or we had to come together with an idea, a mission. And you know this. If there was six of us building all our own thing, we all just did our own thing, it doesn't work. Same is true in the church. If we're all just trying to do our own things and run rogue It doesn't work. We have to come together and be united around a mission. And so what I want to do now is with the rest of the time that I have, I want to invite uh, Don and Adam up to the stage that they can uh, share some of this. Because uh, as we went away in the retreat, one of the emphases, emphases there was that we would work on some conflict that had arisen. And so we want to be vulnerable with you about that conflict because we recognize that conflict uh, exists in your relationships. And even some have seen some of the conflict here. And so we just want to be vulnerable and share some of what God did because I think God did some amazing work, uh, as you're going to hear on this retreat. And we want to uh, bring him honor and glory in that. So, guys, as you come up, why don't you uh, – I know you guys really well, but I don't think everybody here does. So would you mind just introducing yourselves
1: uh, I will. Uh, We shared the first service, and I honestly thought this would get easier, but I don't think it did. It doesn't, no. If I look nervous, it's because I am. So I would just ask you to join me just in a word of prayer. Father God, I just ask that you would calm my spirit right now and that what what would be shared here uh, this morning would bring honor and glory to you. Lord, this message that Pastor Chris brought is so important in our lives, the uh, significance of conflict and unity is something that is near and dear to your heart. And we thank you that we have this opportunity to share from the perspective of our leadership and from this church, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, my name is Don Long, and uh, I'm one of the elders here at Bethany Grace Fellowship and have uh, currently am serving in my third term as an elder and uh, been attending Bethany Grace for over 50 years. Uh, and I'm sure, as you can tell here this morning, I'm just a little bit older than Pastor Adam. <laughs> just a little And uh, I, I actually dress differently, too. Uh, but I told Adam this morning, I said, but it's getting better because a couple of years ago, I would have been up here with a suit and tie on. So uh, that's kind of who I am.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I, I think many of you know me. I've been here. I've been at the church seven years. Yeah. I think that's probably the most relevant thing for what we're about to share. Yeah, about um, seven, years. seven years is how long I've been here. Remember vividly the time Chris and I sat in a family cupboard. I think yes, that's the restaurant sure was, where right? it was, and mm-hmm. we had, had the ch- the buffet there. I think so. Um, yeah. So again, um, yeah, so, yeah. That's who I am. Okay. Yeah. Ha- Married, four kids. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else you want to know? Yeah. No, about, no, that's uh, good. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> good. I know everything else, but Miami uh, Dolphins fan. That's for what we it's worth. We don't order. have to air all our I dirty laundry
1: <laughs> We truly don't. <laughs> they look Penn State. You're Penn there State. There we go. There we'll go we'll with that. Now you can understand uh, some of the conflict. Yeah, so That's this right. conflict <laughs> comes around our
0: football team. Uh, I'm an Eagles fan. <laughs> guilty. Um, so anyway, this coming into the retreat, I think the back story is so important for them because... To understand the backstory, if you don't know the backstory, then the conflict and, and what happened there to retreat doesn't really help us. And so can you just share a little bit about how you felt coming into the weekend? What was your attitude like heading into that weekend in October?
1: I will. Uh, as I begin, I just want to simply say that this is a very or was a very special retreat, I think, for me and for all the elders. And I saw a sign this week, and maybe some of you actually saw it because it was just down in Blue Ball. But the sign read, Life is Fragile. Handle with prayer. And I want you to know that going into the Elder Retreat, uh, it was characterized by the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of prayer. But for me personally, coming into the retreat, I think it would be fair to say that I was not really looking forward to it. In fact, to be perfectly honest, I didn't even want to be there. Uh, I personally was guilty of a very critical spirit and a discontent that had been building for some time uh, over the loss of some of our people here at Bethany Grace. Uh, And I had a desire, I was holding on to this desire to protect and preserve the past, to do things the way we had always done them. And uh, for me, that was something that uh, I was really struggling with. So consequently we made arrangements with our overseer, Jonathan Yoder, to join us for our retreat and really to address this tension. Mm-hmm. And maybe just as a back part of that, uh, Jonathan met with both uh, Pastor Adam and myself individually. And he actually shared with me, he said, uh, I may recommend that you step off the board, Don. So he said, I just wanted to give you that heads up. And uh, Uh, So, as a a result of that, he came to our elder meeting, but it was interesting. He was originally scheduled to come on Friday, which was the first day of our elder meeting or elder retreat. And uh, as a result of a schedule change, which I believe was a result of a funeral, he had to reschedule to Saturday, which meant he came the second day. And uh, as a result of that, we had processed some of this in prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. As he walked into the room, the first thing that he said was, what just happened here? He, I think, sensed at that very moment that the power of the Holy Spirit was at work. And uh, he said, I came prepared to address some of this tension, but he said, maybe I need to hear from you guys first. And that's exactly what happened. He did hear from us first. And during that... uh, That event, during that morning time, and especially in our prayer time, I really felt the presence of the Lord personally. Uh, We had a prayer time that all the elders were participating in. It was, I I would say, I said 15 minutes this morning. It was probably more like 30 minutes that we were praying. And where I was seated, and the prayer, that time that we devoted, was in preparation for Jonathan joining us, who he was going to be arriving about 10 o'clock. And uh, as I was seated in the room, it was a cloudy day, and there was a portal window about 18 to 20 feet above where I was sitting off to the right. And uh, as I completed my prayer, and I admit I was very, very emotional, I'm an emotional person, can be very emotional, and I was crying, and uh, I completed uh, my prayer, and I'm getting emotional now, and the sunlight just came flooding through this portal. And uh, I don't even think all the elders realized it because it just covered me. And I was covered in sunlight, S-U-N light, but I was also covered in sunlight, S-O-N light. And that continued for the entire time of our prayer. And again, it was a cloudy day, but the sun just covered me in those rays. Was that a coincidence? I don't think so. I think God is always in our midst if we seek him, and it was important, you know, for me to seek him. But one of the other things that I recognized and that he reminded me of is that he also is looking for humility. And Scripture tells us that if we humble ourselves in his sight, he will lift us up. And that's, I think, what happened for me, and I think truthfully happened for all our elders.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Adam, would you share, too? Yeah, um, I, like Don, I, I was very candid. I I didn't want to go in the retreat. I was called to lead it uh, with with uh, Jonathan, and yet I had very little hope and didn't even want to go. I don't know if you've ever been in that position. You've got to do something you really don't want to do. Um, mine, uh, Don commented on it, and it's, um, I appreciate that very much, but there was tension between Don and I, and it started about three years ago. And I'll set the backstage with um, last week, and I've shared in the past, growth growth changes everything. And so one of the things that I realized, right or wrong, uh, the great group of elders when I first got here to the church but again to realize, the elder board, we'd like to move to a point where they don't just counsel the pastor but they're the pastor's boss, if you will. They, they, they set the guidelines and the guardrails. And um, they don't just get down and do all the ministry, but they give oversight to the ministry. And we knew we had to transition that. So it was very important to move in that direction to make sure that the elders are, are, like Chris talked about, doctrinal unity, yeah. respect, yeah. and philosophical yeah. unity. Well, that yeah. third one, the philosophical unity, um, when Don was uh, nominated yeah. to be an elder uh, three years ago, I, um, I very candid. I, he didn't know this at the time, but I didn't want him on the board because I was concerned, and I could see some of, some of what he shared, and I could see it then. I'm thinking this is not going to lead us well. Uh, so he did, and and I'll fast forward. then after he gets on the board, four months in, in April of that year, um, all all semblance of any trust that we did had was gone because of my sinful attitude towards Don. Uh, at that point is. Um, just got to the point we had a meeting where I spoke in ways I deeply regret. I, I got very angry. Um, elders had to almost step in between us. And it just was, Jen, I carried myself poorly uh, as a leader, as a person, as a, as a follower of Christ. And I really hurt Don. Um, we worked through that in the coming months, uh, following that. Yet, I don't know if you've ever been through an, an, an experience where you're hurt that deeply. Trust just doesn't come back overnight. Um, so that's really what was leading. That's what we knew. That we yeah. had to work through this, and that's what um, we were coming to that retreat to, to yeah. wrestle with this and tackle. It. I didn't yeah. have a lot of hope. Yeah. Is the best way to answer your yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so we come into that
0: weekend, and we one of the things we did on Friday, which is is interesting that this happened with Jonathan being moved to Saturday, because had he come on Friday, I think it would have been drastically different. Totally. But. On Friday, what we had done in preparation is we we did this thing that that Don actually recommended for us to do. It's called a Strength Finders Test. And it's a series of questions that you do online, and and it kind of gives you what these... You're wondering what these things are. These are their strengths. One is for Adam, one is for Don. And as you go through this, you you find uh, it gives you 34 different things. And what they list as a strength in their own words, they define a strength as this. The ability to provide consistent, excellent... or <clears throat> sorry, consistent near perfect performance in a given activity. So something you're doing, you're nearly perfect at it all the time. Those are your strengths. And they, again, they break this down into 34 different categories with the ones at the bottom being the weaknesses. So we did this and we opened ourselves up vulnerable to one another and we had each other talk about our strengths and our weaknesses. And if you've ever done that with people, it's, it's very humbling and it can be scary. So we did this, 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 uh, exercise on Friday, and do you guys just want to talk about uh, kind of what came out of that exercise that got us ready for Saturday?
1: Well, one of the things that became obvious to me is that, again, as you mentioned here this morning, we're all gifted differently, and uh, it became extremely obvious as we worked through this exercise with the Strength Finders, and uh, I had taken this Strength Finders test previously, as did Pastor Adam, and uh, before I would recommended it to the Elder board, And both times that I took the test, in the past and more presently, is my number one uh, gift came out as empathy. And so I'm about relationship and empathy. And empathy is the ability to picture what other people see and feel. So that was some of the conflict that I had as people that I had grown to know and love over the years were leaving the church, I struggled with. And it created some of the tension that... uh, uh, existed between Adam and I another thing that came out of it is uh, for me was that there are many different leadership styles Adam I think as Chris pointed out uh, this morning very clearly and uh, concisely Adam's a visionary he's a big picture guy that I couldn't be further from that I'm a detail person okay I'm more gifted in your area but I'm a detailed person and uh, I need to know how things are going to happen and when they're going to happen. I'm much more comfortable reading a financial statement or writing an employee manual, okay, <laughs> than worrying about the vision or the future. I just am not a real creative person.
2: Yeah, my, my biggest takeaway um, uh, came out of that exercise was, you know, we have these sheets now. What we do is we actually leave these now at our elder board meeting. We set these up so when we look at each person, we're looking at them through their lens of their strengths. But one of my biggest uh, takeaways is I look at mine. Uh, I'll just tell you mine. Uh, If you're familiar with Gallup Strength Finders, you'll know some of these. Learner is my top. Input is my second. Strategic, um, Strategic says this. You create alternative ways to proceed. Faced with a scenario, you can quickly spot the relevant patterns and issues. And I'm an achiever. Um, You have stamina and are hardworking. You take satisfaction from being busy and productive. I'm very goal-driven. I mean, we got to hit goals, and like they said, that big picture, Mm -hmm. we're going somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then the one that was most interesting um, is Activator. Uh, And you can make things happen is what it says. You turn thoughts into action. And then the downside with Activator is it it tends to be a very impatient uh, piece. But here's the biggest takeaway to simply sum it up is – I always looked at Don um, as we're alike, as how I always thought it, because we're both emotional. Um, we are both passionate, uh, which goes with emotional, both very strong and strong leaders. And well, I think we both have a strong sense of what we want to get done, right. um, whether visionary or not. Yeah. We both have that strong sense. Yeah. So I just kind of looked at Don of we're similar people. Well, when you really stack up the strengths and see empathy and then activator, wow. <laughs> so here I am. Let's take the hill. And, you know, take the hill, you have calculated risk, you have things, you know, there, there's, there's acceptable loss, if you will. I mean, we got to go there. Empathy is sitting there going, there's no acceptable loss. And it's, it's that grieving with the loss and wrestling. So we began to realize, wow, we just view life so different. We're wired to do that it was the biggest um, yeah. takeaway for me.
1: And some of what that strength that we perceived for was the passion, as he mentioned, but it also came out. In one area for me, in opinions, okay, we all have very, very strong opinions, both Adam and I, and I think as a group we would have opinions, and guess what, we always think we're right, and uh, that's where the passion, and that's where the strength, I think, and some of the conflict came, you know, between Adam and I, and we've had to work through that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so then as we go through Friday, we come through this this thing, and then we we come into... Uh, Saturday what would you say as you summarize for everybody uh, the whole weekend what would you say was your your takeaway from the whole weekend and how did this you know because we we kind of went into this story because of of John Mark and Paul and I and Barnabas very similar parallels yeah and I think there's a lot of parallels there and so that's why we wanted to do this this morning. So what would you say are some, some of the wasn't, takeaways? wasn't, correct me
2: wrong, Barnabas means son of encouragement. That's right, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he had more empathy, yes. uh, you could almost yeah. say. Yeah, and, there,
0: there's a lot that could be made of Paul's and personality. And Paul, Paul
2: was very much, and yeah. And is yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Well, there were several takeaways for, for me, uh, but a couple of the key ones that I would uh, like to share is that uh, the Holy Spirit revealed to me personally that we serve a God of change. And... That the movement of God is always on the cutting edge. And I've kinda lo- I had kind of lost sight of that. And I think that's very, very true and very accurate, that we serve a God of change and that the movement of God is always, always on the cutting edge. And that was huge for me because, as I shared with you just a few minutes ago, I wanted to hang on and protect and preserve the past. And while there may be some value in that and some of our traditions, I wouldn't throw them all out, but there's a need to move forward with new wineskins and understand, you know, that uh, I need to understand Adam's perspective as a visionary and keep that out in front of me, you know, as a detailed person and how we can accomplish that. I guess another one for me and perhaps the most significant takeaway for me, and I think you alluded to this, but... This actually I came up on my own with is divided loyalties bring division.
0: Yeah.
1: And I want to just repeat that. Divided loyalties bring division. And I think it's so important to work at unity. Work Unity's hard, whether it's within our church leadership, whether it's in our business relationships, whether it's in our family or with our spouse. We need to work at unity. And I guess what I wanted to share with the congregation, with you, Chris, is that I feel like we came away from that uh, united in our desire to share uh, the gospel with our community and to advance the kingdom of God and a uh, a commitment to preserve that unity. That's
2: a great way to say it. Yeah, my uh, thing I learned was it was a culmination of what God has done and continues to do in my heart. Um, ever since being called to be a pastor, when you think of the word pastor, if we would just take a poll here this morning, I would venture a guess. Generally, when you say, what is a pastor, you're going to find roughly four different opinions on this. You'll hear some say like a, a chaplain, a caregiver, a shepherd who are going to visit the sick. You'll hear some talk about maybe a preacher or a teacher. You'll hear some talk about a leader or a visionary. And then you'll hear some talk about uh, a missionary or an evangelist and, and those four areas. And, and and so generally, one person can't do all four of them. Uh, but oftentimes, what my mind, when, I, when God said, to Adam, go be a pastor, I had that first one in view, uh, a care for the people, the... Um, the chaplain, the sit in the hospital, do the funerals, and all that. And so I'm like, but I'm not wired that way. And, and so I always wrestled with this, and the culmination of this is this. When you do an exercise like this, it's kind of vulnerable because it revealed that I'm not wired that way. Once again, another test. I've taken so many different tests. And they always show this uh, test. So what it, here's what it said to me, and here's let me share a story that really brings culmination okay. with it, that brings Don into this very personally, and to the point where I'm like, we need one another to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, because I sat with someone who left our church um, within the last, I don't, I don't want to give any details, or give anyone, I don't want anyone to try to say, who is that? Someone that left, we'll leave it at that, sat down with them over the last little while here, I had lunch, and um, they began to talk to me, and they said, Adam, we look at you as a pastor, and we see, no doubt, you care for those that are far from God, that don't know Jesus, or outside the church. You love those people. And we see that you care and have a great love for those who are on mission, the, the, the passionate Christ follower who is, who is advancing the mission and is, is doing that. It's this third group, and he, um, uh, they put themselves in this group, more of a casual Christian is how he would, would have defined it, and someone who's more working a nine-to-five job, who's not getting out of bed in the morning trying to say, let's advance the kingdom of God. And, um, and, and so they said, we see that group. You have no time for that group. Now, <laughs> I'll be candid. Uh, I went home from that lunch, uh, and I thought, well, yeah, that's right. I don't. I mean, Jesus would say that, too. He spits them out of their mouth, a lukewarm. He has no time for them, quoting a verse from Revelation. Uh, But the more I've walked with Don, who has the gift of empathy, the strength of empathy, I'm realizing, what does it really look like to shepherd and care for someone who might classify themselves as a casual or maybe even a lukewarm Christian? I'm still a shepherd. I'm still to lead. Chris and I both are. Don mm-hmm. is. What do we, mm-hmm. what does that look like? And I realize what I've really come to realize is listening to Don. So uh, we get build the trust, get to know each other, empathy, it ultimately boils down to approach. Um, and husbands, I'll, I'm a husband, you guys know this, right? When you have something you need to tell your wife, you've got the truth, right? You, you got it down. <laughs> you even have the application, you know what she needs to do. Well, the conversation hangs on your approach, right? If you just walk in there, bang, here it is. <laughs> it's not going to go well. And so I've realized, man, the approach, the care, the concern, the empathy walking with. So um, that's really kind of the culmination for yeah. me. Realize how important we need one another, how yeah. healthy and un- unhealthy we are if we don't have this multiple sharing of strength. Yeah. We, not one of us has all the strengths. Yeah. And we, uh, so that was um, that was really kind of my yeah. takeaway for this team. Great, great. Yeah,
0: thanks for sharing, guys. I don't know if I uh, thanked you in the first service, but thanks deeply for opening up that Uh, because as we put this together, as we thought about this as a team, uh, we thought about this story just being helpful to you uh, and being able to to share some behind the scenes of how we work through conflict. And uh, it's true at every level, no matter where you're at in your journey with with Jesus and in your walk with God, that we're going to deal with conflict. And so I want to close with this. I pray that you were encouraged. I hope that you were encouraged. I want to close with a verse, uh, and then we need to, to finish up this service. But this verse comes from the Apostle Paul. Uh, and it's important to note uh, that Paul and John Mark, despite their differences, were able to work things out because of that mutual respect and because of their love for Jesus. And Ephesians, Paul writes this As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. If you are a Christ follower, you've received a calling to bless God and bless his people. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. That is an important phrase there. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. And then, as Don pointed out, unity is difficult. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why would Paul have to say, say, make every effort? If it wasn't difficult, if it came naturally, he wouldn't have to say that. But Paul says, make every effort because it doesn't come naturally for us. And the enemy always wants division. That's what the enemy wants. He's always dividing. He's always pulling us apart. And what Jesus is saying to us is fight for it with everything that you have, whether it's your marriage, whether it's in your business, but certainly in the church. With everything that you have, fight for the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace because it reflects on the Savior that we proclaim. So unity is extremely important. I know it's hard. Push through the conflict. It is worth it. Let's pray. Father God. We know that in our sinfulness, in our selfishness, Lord, that we tend to push our own ideas. We tend to push our own agendas. And, Father, the enemy just feasts on our selfishness. But, Father, I pray, as you have told us to do time and time again, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Lord, help us to be selfless people. Help us to completely and fully find our identity in you, Father. That as we find our identity in you, that we could walk in humility with others. And we could see the gifts that you have given others and respect them. Father, I pray for anybody in the room that is in the midst of great tension, great conflict. This is not an easy process. It takes time. But Father, I thank you that you give us the time. You give us the patience. Help us as the church, not just Bethany Grace Fellowship, but the universal church to work towards the unity in the spirit. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.